This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Boom Rookies presented by ESPN. I am Matt Bungard and with me today, Nick Campton. Hello. Hello. It's good to be here. Good to be back. On one Doing of, it all again. One of the most sacred days of the year, St. Patrick's Day. Oh, very important day for the chosen people. I'm going to drink one Guinness and then a lot of Bulmers after a Rabbitohs win, hopefully tonight. I'm, I actually don't really like Guinness that I know, much. it's your biggest character flaw. 100%. I might choke one down today just out of respect. you got to do it. 100%. It's illegal not to. That's right. Uh, it was also illegal to play defense last night at Brookvale Oval because uh, the Manly Seagulls snuck home with a 34-30 win over the now 0-3 Parramatta Eels, who are in trouble, Nick, but this game just got very drunk late on. It really did. I felt like the first maybe 15 minutes, Manly were really sharp and really composed and, and very sort of controlled in the way that they attacked and the aggression that they played with. And then they just totally lost their way and and para just sort of para it's pretty clear can put on a lot of points but they just can't stop them to save themselves you know and when you look at it when you look at the scorecard afterwards and you see it's six tries all and Parramatta gave manly two tries one through that jermaine hopgood intercept and one through that bailey simonson tap back on the 40 20 mm. and even then they only lost the game because mitch moses missed a couple of conversions like i i gotta be honest with you i'm I'm really struggling to kind of get a read on this game because it was just it was absolutely all over the road yeah i mean it's brutal for them to be winless in what three games where they've lost by golden point four points and six points was it six points or four but yeah so it was, either it was one score yeah. one score in each of the three games one of which went to extra time um tough 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 manly still undefeated um I don't know. Where do you want to start with this? Because, well, I mean, I saw Josh Hodgson, your beloved, getting a lot of pelters online. And whilst his defense was not good, nobody's defense was good in this game. Well, let's, like, I, I don't want to turn every Parramatta discussion into the Josh Hodgson uh, debate. So, but, so let, let's start at the start, right? Let's start. When it was 14 nil, I thought that this was going to be. Well, I, I, something that really stood out to me was just the physicality that they were, that they were playing with. I thought that really shone through. Mm. Like it shone through against Canterbury and I think there's a lot of guys at Manly who look to have really put on a bit of timber mm. in the off season someone like Tolu Kola who was quick last year no doubt but now is looks really powerful and mm. Taniela Paseca is a bit the same and Olakawatu is really the same and I loved that physical intensity Yeah they was they were starting every set and so strongly like yeah, I love that their physical, backs were hitting in kick yeah, chase I loved and that intensity that carrying strongly yeah. yeah off those yardage runs at the start of each set and then they get those two tries and get up on top early um that was that was the most Villandy ball era try that Tom Tabojevic scored. The, oh yeah, the, yeah, that Absolutely. was that he scored twenty of those two seasons ago. Well, <laughs> the the I, I felt like the way the place the game turned was when Manly kept going with that aggression, but just were making bad decisions. So on that first Clint Gutherson try, Tui Pelotu's racing in off the wing, trying to be aggressive and go up and in, and he just gets the wrong guy, and it opens up a huge gap. Mm. You know what I mean? But it didn't really seem to matter because. Para, for whatever reason, have just sort of lost all of that defensive intensity that they had for a yeah. part of last season. And it seems to be contagious. Then we had Josh Schuster with the jersey grab on Parramatta's second try. And all of a sudden, you, we, we, get to, we get to just after halftime, Gutherson goes over again. And Parramatta are on top. But then, what, I mean, what happens next is, is pretty chaotic. I mean, first you get the Tom Tavoyevich try, then the Brad Parker try. And within the space of three minutes, they've all but lost the game. Yeah, I, well, let's use this as an opportunity to talk about Schuster because he set up that try. 
He's such an enigmatic character. He really I, he's is. a player I love to watch and not have to be frustrated by it because he's not on my team. You get the bad, like that non-effort on the on the Dury try, and then you get the good. Like I can't think of many players that would try chip and chase five meters out from the try line and not only try it, but have it work. I really, really hate that Dravojevic scored it. Yeah, because <laughs> get out of like the way. It's no, it's no shots at Tom Dravojevic. I was just like, I really. No, I don't want a Josh Schuster chip and chase try. I think it's something I need. I need to see it <laughs> for my own personal well-being. But yeah, he. Um, we talked about a little bit about this on the Manly preview with Joe Barton a few weeks ago. I think the key for to getting the best out of Schuster is to keep him really engaged and go to him a lot early and sort of bring him into the game. And that's what Manly were doing in the early stages when they were attacking down their left side, you know. And there are always going to be some rough edges on on Schuster's game. Some some sort of effort areas that he he will have to learn, but he just gives them such a great attacking dimension. And you mentioned that this was one of the most PVL ball games that we've seen in a while. It reminded me a lot of Manly in 2021 when they had Schuster parked up on that left edge as, as a second rower and him and Foran were just running all sorts of crazy plays for, um, I think the centre was Morgan Harper and, and Ruben Garrick had the great year there as well. And it got me thinking when they were running all those nice plays down the left early is... It got me thinking of the Bobby Four tries year at Souths, where Seabold was the coach and he got Cody Walker um, running a lot of really good stuff down South Sydney's left edge. And Robert Jennings, who's never really been a try scorer of note before or since, mm. scored 20 odd tries and was dubbed Bobby Four tries, you know? So. Because he scored four tries in a game, if people are wondering. That's listen, right. There's confused. a lot of layers to this one. Mm. So it, it was a bit of a mixed bag for Schuster. I was just looking up the stats now. He didn't have a hit up. Yep. Didn't have a single carry. Love that. That's bizarre. He seemed to pull his calf, putting up a bomb late. It was just, it was, it was the full Josh Schuster. It was a Schuster sampler. It, it, it really was. Like it was a little bit of everything that we've seen from him through his first grade career. And like if this is if that's his baseline for this season, then it's gonna be it's gonna be a really really good thing to watch for Manly going forward because he can only get better. Like he can only sort of get fitter and get a bit of match fitness back and sort of like let those combinations grow a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, sorry, just writing down Schuster Sampler as the episode title. Nice one. Um, yeah. And, but Man- like we talked about Parramatta's defense not being there. Manly's was just as bad. I thought the efforts on, not 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 the effort, but maybe the positional awareness from Tom, on Guth- especially on Gutho's first try and then later on on Hodgson's try, were absolutely terrible. And if that, if that was a Latrell Mitchell, that is talked <laughs> about so much after the game. But... It just wasn't even talked about. Yeah, it was. It was really strange because, but but I think it falls into what we were talking about before, where Manly want to play really, really aggressive. So on the Josh Hodgson try, for example, he shoots up to the he left. Shoots up yeah. to try and to try and shut shut the down that down. right that wing. Yeah, really, that would really have killed the whole movement and, and you know probably killed off the game. But the wily veteran saw it coming. Yeah, well, that's the that's the thing. Do like you think you, you could have you... scored that try faster than Josh Hodgson? Oh, I'm pretty slow, man. It's not what I asked I'm... you. <laughs> No, I think um, even though Hodjo's got, you know, his knees, he was, just, his knees are more of a concept. He was running in treacle. It was great. Mate, I loved 40. it. Went 40, I though. absolutely loved I it. I loved it too. But but that's what we're talking about. When Manly play that really aggressive style of defense, it can be a little bit a little bit boom bust. It can be, mm. you know, high risk and, and, and high reward. But I do think that's something that they'll work out as the season goes on because it is clear they pl- they're playing with a bit of a new style and they're sort of playing with a new composition of their bodies a lot of them it was something that I was thinking about so Des Hasler wasn't just the coach of Manly he like pretty much he ran most of the football department all the trainers and all of them were kind of his guys including mm. a fellow named Don Singe who'd been a trainer 
and the high-performance guy at Manly for a really, really long time. And he was really good at what he did. He was there when they won all their, those premierships. But I think just getting in some new guys, getting in some, some fresh voices has really, really helped a lot of the players. And you can see the physical difference in a, in, in a whole lot of them. I don't know if they'll ever learn how to sustain that through 80 minutes, but it does make for intriguing contests. They are an interesting team and they've got South next week now and that could be another crazy game like this or it could be a game where if their attack doesn't click, they just get belted. And I really don't know what to make of Manly yet through two games and a bye. Well, I've really got my eye on that South Sydney game because, mm. you know, first week Manly played Canterbury who were not all they could have been. And then yesterday I thought they played a Parramatta team. To me, Parramatta played like a team who were a bit low on confidence at the minute. You know, and so if they play Souths and Souths have most of their most of their troops in, all right. Well, now we're talking about one of the best teams in the competition. So I really want to see yeah. how Manly match up in that environment for for Parramatta. So I've enjoyed you know stirring you and the other Raiders fans up a little bit because you still all love Josh Hodgson and that's fine. But like, I don't think he was the problem last night. I, I, I like for me, like you scored six tries. Like, what? yes, he was bad defensively. I six tries. You looked at your, your beloved Parramatta oh, Eels. My beloved, my dear, yeah. my dear friends, the Parramatta the, the Eels scored six tries, and yes, he was at fault defensively for that Tobojevic, that first Tobojevic try. But like, there were plenty of other issues last night beyond their spine. I thought their spine actually all played quite well. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. I so I watched this game pretty late last night. I was out doing something else, so I wasn't on on Twitter. I wasn't talking to people while the game was going on. But then when I sort of, you know, did a bit of a ring around this morning talking to some of the guys and I was like, oh yeah, you know, what was going on? And they were like, man, people were cooking Hodgson. Mm. They were killing him. And it's, it, it, it was, it was, it's like you say, they scored six tries. I thought their attack wasn't a problem. Even when they weren't playing well, they were, they were scoring points, you know. And it's a, bit, it's a bit like last week. The problem's stopping the points. The problem is putting themselves under pressure with bad defensive decisions. And Hodgson has always been like a solid defender. Not not like a not like a great hitter or anything like that. I know he, but and he did caught he did get caught out a couple of times in the middle of the field though. But I guess I think that's to be expected when he's you know coming off a knee injury and he's probably not as mobile as he was either. I wonder if I wonder if it would be a good idea if he didn't play eighty minutes because mm. he's be, he can play eighty minutes. Well, he he used to be able to play eighty minutes, but I wonder if he'd be more effective as like sort of a 60-minute player or something like that, just with one little break in the middle of the match just to just yeah. so he is a bit fresher and sort of isn't making as many defensive decisions under fatigue. I was I was going back and looking at some of the reaction this morning. I was quite surprised by how vitriolic it well, was. Well, like, obviously I was low on Parramatta going into this season, but a lot of that was due to schedule and the guys they lost. But, like, they could easily be 3-0. Like, easily. Well, I think that's like, what we have to... That's what we have to remember. I feel like this team isn't far we're, away from... We're acting like they've out. been belted off the park for three weeks in a row. Like, well, not yeah. we, but, like, people in yeah. general putting the... You know, already holding the funeral for them and stuff. And whilst... Like, and you, you mentioned their defensive... I don't know if people realise that... You know, Do you know where they ranked out of the eight teams that made the finals last year in terms of points points conceded? I don't, but I'm eager to find out. Eighth. Really? Well, yep. They were below South, they were below Canberra. I'm looking, I'm just, I just pulled it up while we were talking because I was curious. Yeah, they were eighth. They, were, they, they had the worst defence of the eight teams that made the finals That's last year. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. So, you know, this 34-30 game, if they don't throw that intercept, could be a 30-28 win. The Sharks game could have easily been a win. The Storm Golden Point game just got away from them late doors. It's like... Whilst I had my reasons to doubt them, I'm, 
you hear Hodgson on the on the field after the game. I think he said on grandstand that they're not panicking just now. I don't think they should panic. It's a very long season. You don't want to start zero and three. It's it's tough to make you the finals from zero and three. You but just don't want to do you it. You don't want to do it. But you'd rather start three and zero, Nick, if you had the choice. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's the kind of actually no kind of because I've got analysis. this because I've got the grind set mentality. I'd rather start zero and three so I can work my way back to the top. Um, but like you know, they've got the, but the issue with them is they've as we mentioned last week. They play the Panthers off a bye next week, and then the Roosters off a bye the week after that, and that's kind of just that is absolutely brutal well, schedule. Zero and five is that that's that, kind of, that that's is, almost a death sentence. Yeah, you know, there are things Parramatta can improve on. I think they can't get Sean Lane back quickly enough no. because I think you can carry Bryce Cartwright and Wanga Blake. You can carry one of them in the team defensively. I don't think you can carry both of them, and I especially don't think. You can have you can carry them both together. That's a real can you imagine that's a real weakness that I think a defensive weakness that teams are going to go after. Easter Monday, the zero and five Tigers against the zero and five Eels. Somebody's always got to go in the reverse. Yeah, unless I, they draw. I think they get I think they get Madison back for that Roosters correct, game. Yep. If I'm correct on yes, that one, three games right, and yeah. that'll re- that'll really help out a lot of their middle. And range then Sean Lane's but, around about Easter. Yeah. So, so and like well, there's been a lot of talk about Brad Arthur's use of his bench, and he did use his bench a little bit more in this mm. one. I don't really think it helped matters no, all too much. I think he had to last like so bloody hot. Yeah, well, it was a warm one. But it was, Paulo went off for four minutes or something and came back on in the first half. Like four he, or five minutes. Yeah. Was, yeah. He's, he's, he's someone who, in all three games, can hold his head extremely high. He, Would, he literally could not be he, doing more. Give him a rest. Give Obviously, him a rest. you can't because you're 0 3, but <laughs> he deserves one. But he deserves one. Maybe a present. Try! Try! This is a try! Brilliant, brilliant play. I think it's a try. Oh, I don't know if this is going to be a try. Gee, what about this bloke? All right, we're back. Uh, if you're a new listener, this is our weekly segment. Uh, what about this bloke? Where we talk about a guy from NRL's yesteryear, Campo. Sitting around and naming old rugby league players is the finest thing a person can do. It's literally my favourite thing to do in the entire world. So we're going to do it right now. This week's guy, nominated by treasured listener of the show, The Black Vegetable. And he has chosen the original tricky, Daryl Trindle. Yes, so younger listeners might not realise why we call Braden Trindle Tricky Trindle, because that's not his nickname. But it was, in fact, the nickname of Daryl Trindle, who was a South Sydney halfback in the late 1990s. Um, South's best player, really, in their last season before they were kicked out of the competition. And a guy who, was in, a guy who when I was young, was involved in one of the biggest sort of on-field conspiracy scandals going around, Nick. I don't know if you remember this, but so Souths were having... Souths were a very poor team in the, in the, in the late 90s, right? So mid-90s. Basically the whole decade. Basically since 1989, they were, they were awful, okay? Um, and, but in 1999, they were having like a pretty decent season um, led by Daryl Trindle. They, were, they, they knocked off the Bulldogs in week one to, create, it, um, to start off the year and then they strung a few wins together after that and I think that they were... Around they were, they eight, were, they, were they, were, the they were in the hunt. They were in the hunt. So they played really in the hunt. They played. Um, they played the. They played someone. They played the Knights or the Dragons. They, and they played got, the Knights and they lost. Yeah. And Daryl Trindle was for some reason suspended for seven weeks after this game for a high tackle that no one picked up during the game that no one even noticed. Well, here's the here's the twist in the tale. Right. Mm. So Daryl Trindle is a halfback, a pretty slight kind of guy. When you see Braden Trindle. 
that's kind of like what Daryl Trindle's build was. And the player that he allegedly had hired was a Newcastle forward named Peter Shields, who was one of the tallest players in the competition. Mm. You know? So I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I'm just a connect-the-dots guy. Anyway, they lost their last three or four games to end the season and end up missing the finals by, I think, three games. So He's very yeah. much... I, 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 was, I was really interested when the Black Festival nominated Daryl Trindle because I was able to dive into a lot of like real South Sydney minutia in the early 90s when they didn't have much going on. They very rarely bottomed out entirely to win the wooden spoon, but they never really qualified for the finals either. So Trindle debuted for Souths in 1990... Played for him until 99 when they, get, when they got kicked out. It's the Bulldogs. He, he never won more than 10 games in a season with South Sydney. It was a very, it was very Crescendo-y. It, 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 was a, it, was, it was a tough time. But he sort of was part of a junior crop of Souths players that came through in the late 80s and early 90s. And a richer crop of guys you will not find. So let me run through some of the names for you. These, these guys all debuted for Souths between 1989 and 1992. Jim Sedaris, Manoa Thompson, yep. Sean Garlick, Terry Hill, Daryl Tricky Trindle, Craig Field, Paul Mellor, Nick Zissi. And some guy, I've never heard of him before, Corey Murray, Cameron Murray's non-union equivalent. Yeah, there you go. Unbelievable. But Tricky, Tricky was one of those players, he was very, like, very much like an instinctive sort of player, always really, really good to watch. Gave a lot of good service to the club in some really, really tough times. I think he took up the captaincy really young, just kind of because there was... There was nobody else. Once things finished up at Souths, he went to Canterbury and he had two really strong seasons. He was in, Sorry, one really strong season. He played halfback for him in 2001 when I have no memory of this Canterbury team, but they finished second on, this, on the regular season ladder before getting dusted in the finals by the seventh place Dragons by one point. And then the Sharks in week two put 50 on him. Yep. Totally bizarre. And then after that tricky sort, he played I think four or five games the next season and then fell apart. But for me, the definitive tricky Trindle memory is my mother. My mother told me this story. It's her favourite rugby league story ever. Absolutely loves it to death. And whenever I bring up Braden Trindle, she always tells the story again. So towards the end of his career, tricky, you know, could find a bit of trouble. And one night he was out drinking somewhere and he got in a fight with somebody, and it was a pretty brutal fight. And tricky lost a bit of his ear. So eventually the fight breaks up and they drag the boys away and all that and they call the ambulances and somebody got a schooner full of ice and put the piece of Tricky's ear into the schooner so that maybe they could reattach it or whatever. And one of his pisshead mates picked up the schooner and yelled into it, Tricky, Tricky, can you hear me, Tricky? That's Mark Hampton's favourite rugby fantastic. league story ever. I reckon I've heard her tell it a thousand times. I just pulled times. out this, by the way. So he got suspended in a 27-4 win over the Knights. Oh, we're still on this? And for the rest of the year, they won four games in round 12. And then they got kicked out of the comp. Yep. How many premierships has your team won since my team got kicked out of the comp? Keep your third eye open, baby. Right. I will. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, Dale Trindle. What a guy. What a guy. Okay, now we move on to preview the rest of round three's games. Uh, Campo... Uh, a pretty decent first game, intriguing. I'm trying to find positive. The, a Knights team that um, is really missing a lot of firepower against the red hot two and O Dolphins that nobody believed in. Well, I think there's just there's just enough uh, missing from the Dolphins to give the Knights a little bit of hope. Like I think Jeremy Marshall King is a really big out for the Finns, and I do think for all the courage that they showed last week. The Dolphins did lack a little bit of, of attacking spark. They only made one line break all day, and that was in that that was for that Hamiso Tabuai Fido try right at the end. So 
I, I'm, I'm anticipating like a low scoring grind in this one. And I think the Dolphins are just a little bit better equipped for that. But it wouldn't surprise me either if it is in that low scoring grind and Jackson Hastings kicking game really comes to the fore and they're able to step, step it up a little bit. Um, but that's what they need. They need a really, really big one from from Hastings. They need him to play his best game for the club so far, and they really need him to to take control and run them around the park. Because other than that, there just isn't a whole lot of spark in this Knights team. One thing that I did like a little bit last week, and it was so it's sort of hard to evaluate the Knights from a, from an attacking standpoint last week because they were missing so many different guys. But one thing I did like is I thought they ran plays to their right. A little bit better. I thought Lockie Miller looked a lot more comfortable in shape. They ended up scoring the, the two tries to uh, through Dom Young. So that that side is getting going a little bit more. So I would imagine that the Knights really, really stressed that in their attack. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not anticipating many points in this one. I was once out with our good friend Jack Brady and testing him on obscure Knights trivia. And he's at the level that I'm at with South. So you're at with Campbell. You know most dudes, right? He said he didn't know four people in the Knights team. He also he said that to me also. Okay, yeah. But like when they've had so many guys out that of course they've got to really dig deep into the into Stop the being a Thomas Kant and be a Thomas Kent. That's right, baby. Mm, Words some, to live for. Something by. to think about. Or be a Ryan Rivet. I wanna I wanna throw a scenario at you, right? So in this game, we've got Tom Gilbert, yep. a crazy man who's, oh, who's figured out a this. way to sort of channel his his intensity. And Jack Hetherington, who hasn't quite worked that out yet okay? not, not quite so here's, here's here's what I propose here's what I propose the two of them are allowed to fight at some point in the game mm. you won't get suspended as long as you win I like that win the fight and you can play next week that's lose a good rule the fight. you're out lose of here lose the fight and we'll throw the book at you yep can't do that who you, who you got Hetherington or Gilbert I'm gonna go Gilbert I am too okay yeah yep. I just um, feel like he's a bit more controlled like I think Hetherington mm. would have like two or three good rounds in him but Gilbert would weather the storm, and like he's 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 sort of got a he's sort of got a focus for his intensity that mm. Hetherington's still trying to find. What are you looking for from the Dolphins in this one? Um, more of the same. I think that they they they've kept the system. Like this is what Wayne Bennett's done over the past few seasons: is just keep things simple, play for each other, fight hard, and that's really all they've done in the first two weeks against the Raiders. They were just so stout. I mean, I think you guys only had what one or two line breaks in that game. Not that the Dolphins had many either, but they just kept it tight. O'Sullivan controlled the game really, really well. And if they do that here, they should win. I think, especially with the guys the Knights have out, the forward packs, the, the Dolphins forward pack matches up really well against them, I think. And they've just got to get a couple of chances out there with those backs and, and they should be enough. They, they should have enough to That's get That's the done. thing. I, it sounds like a cliche, but I think the team that takes their chances better here will mm. win this because there will only be a couple on offer. So execution becomes yep. really, really important. It is weird. Like they won two games and suddenly the exact same team that we were looking at going, oh, there's not really anyone good in this team. I'm looking at going, geez, Bromwich, Kafusi. Yeah, well, good. a lot of them have just sort of played well, above the been fantastic. Well, Finn Diesel, man, he's Mate, killing he's, people. I did think it was really funny. Um, Brandon Smith was on somebody else's podcast i can't remember who but he said that he was just watching the dolphins raiders game and he absolutely lost it when kafusi jammed hudson that's young because so apparently funny. hudson young runs his mouth all the time oh that's great it's good stuff and uh, i really want the dolphins to, to i want to be three and over three and oh that's it like yeah. no shot no shots no shots to the knights i got no. nothing against the knights but i would absolutely love it if we go into that first brisbane derby and both teams i got another do you know which forward for the dolphins had the most meters last week uh, I think it was Mark Nichols. It sure it? was. Yeah, that, that's sure a, I looked that was. up during the week and it, and it surprised me because I thought he played well. Playing well. Do you think he played that? I miss well. him. Good All right, I'm gonna take the Dolphins. I'll I'll take the Dolphins as well. All right, 8 p.m. Uh, we'll be there, Allianz Stadium. The Sydney Roosters hosting the Grand Old Club. 
oldest last. It is Ali on Stadium for now because they've both won. Both the Trail Mitchell and the Sydney Roosters club have won two games there. But after tonight, it can go back to being Trailians when it's three best. The stakes have never been higher. They actually haven't. Um, we'll win this. Well, I, I thought you guys were going to win this and win this really well until I saw that the Roosters got uh, Hargraves and Radley back. And I think it's that's just enough to convince me that they'll really live for this. Has Radley one. ever I had still, a good game I against still, South? I still like Souths to win this, but I'm not. I, yeah. I was, I was going before before Hargraves they're, and Radley. They're came good in, ins. They're good ins. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. They're good ins. But I'm, I'm still look. I know. I'm still not 100 percent sure Brandon Smith will play, and if he does, there's every risk that he, you know, we get we get a repeat of last where he plays 10 minutes and then has to come off the field and we get 70 minutes of Jake Turpin or whatever. Um, I think that's a realistic scenario that's in play. I think South will be hungry after last week. They get Junior Totola back, who played one really hit up, yeah. one hit up in the first week. And a then good hit up. It must a, be said. a good hit up. Um, they they get him back. They get Harm Sele back as well, which is massive. Um, I would have loved to see Jaira back too, but he's got it. He's got, they're giving him one more week off precautionarily. Um, but I, th- yeah. So I, th- I think those ins kind of. Count. I think Totola where Hargo is pretty fair trade. I think yeah. both both very solid ins. I think Victor Rad is a little bit better than Harm Sele, but they're both important players to get back. Um, and South will be up for this. I, I just, I don't think they're going to lose two in a row. From a from a Roosters perspective, I really want to see Kiri and Walker to sort of build on on what they had last week. I yeah. thought they really showed some. They were great last week after signs. being very poor in week one. I thought it was really it was really promising for the Roosters to see Kiri work that short side the way that he did for the he's, for the Sam Walker. Honestly, try. one of the best short side players the last ten years. Well, he's that's so it. Good and like when it. he's playing short sides well, that's when you know that mm. that everything's everything's working for them. And even if he just sort of picks his spots and sort of you know does those blindside rushes that we've seen. So many times, if he's just running around the field doing that, honestly, that's enough because of the firepower yeah. that, 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 that the Roosters do have. So I th- that's what I would like to see from the Roosters, just keep building on that on that combination because the forwards aside, that is the thing that a couple of people, including yourself, have had question yeah. marks over. My other thing is, like, usually the Ben's like, obviously, like, Taft's not really going to be a factor, but, like, Harm Saleh has been really good middle in the past couple of years, and David Moale is a really dangerous ball runner in, the, in, those, in those little stints that he has. Even Shape Mitchell had some nice carries. Um, whereas you look at the Roosters bench and it's Terrell May, Fletcher Baker, Jake Turpin and Drew Hutch. And mm-hmm. I, I, I just feel like if they get, if Brandon Smith can't go and they've got to play Turpin for 70 minutes and then suddenly those middle rotations get all whacked out because they don't really have much firepower to bring off the bench that South could really get on top of them later on. That's it. Like the Roosters will rely very, very heavily on those three starters. And I actually, I, this is something we talked about a little bit last week, but I feel like a couple of teams have been caught short on their depth, especially in the middle in yep. these first two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that is a product of there being a new team that sort of sucked up a whole lot of players. But the Roosters are the, are the ones that are really doing it tough. And that's why they go out there and sign someone like Nathan Brown, who might not be the force that he is, but he's just like uh, uh, like a high level of competent at the, at the very, very least. You know, So uh, that would be an area that I think Souths will, will look to exploit. I think they'll really look to surge ahead after that first change. So that makes it really important how Trent Robinson Absolutely. manages his bench and, and sort of works through those three starters. Especially especially with Hargraves. Like we know Hargraves could always rise to the occasion, but he just hasn't played if a lot of footy. I don't I think his last game would have been at the World Cup last yeah. year. I don't think he played in the preseason at all. I might be wrong on that. But he you know he is he is someone that can that can sort of turn it up when he really needs to. But it's a big ask to ask for big minutes from him in a really big game like this in what are going to be Hot and steamy conditions. Hot and steamy. If Jackson Paulo scores a hat trick, I think I might cancel the show. What if Luke Keary scores? I like Luke Keary. I always on have. St. Patrick's Day. What if the Irish? Uh, that's only fair. It? That's absolutely. Do a little jig. Yeah. You can do a little jig. A little jig. Just a little one. I'm tipping Souths. I'm tipping Souths. 
as well, but I'm not as confident as I would have been earlier in this week. I agree. Jair is back. I'm like, lock it up. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Anyway, uh, 3 p.m. on a Super Saturday where all three games will be hosted by Queensland teams, Campo. First up, we've got the Titans against the Storm of Melbourne. Is there another ambush coming? Well... Can you be ambushed two weeks in a row? Uh, I mean, that's one for the linguists. I'm mm. not sure about that. It's hard to know with this Storm side because I know there are a couple of guys under injury cloud, like Justin Olam got named for his comeback, um, I think, a week or two ahead of schedule. He's got to pass a fitness test. So does Xavier Coates. So does Tarek Sims on the bench. But when you look at this team on paper, it does look a whole lot stronger mm. than that team last week. They've got Tyron Wishart named to start at 5'8". This is just gut feel, but I think Jonah Pezzett, who they've named on the bench, I think he'll start at 5'8". Jonah Pezzett is someone that there's a fair bit of hype about. I've only sort of seen him in the one game, which was that New South Wales under-20s game last season, but he was really, really strong. He won man of the match, and I think if he's out there, and even if he just gives them sort of a base level of halves play and he just takes that little bit of pressure off Grant and Hughes, it'll really free up Melbourne to do mm. to do a lot more stuff. And I think the inclusion of someone like Tarek Sims on the bench is really important too, even though I don't love him as a middle. I much, much prefer I mean, him as an edge. Yeah. But you add him in with with Tui Kamakamitha as well, and then there is a lot more muscle in the middle of the field, even accounting for Nelson and Sofa Solomon's Olaman absence. Olam and so, back as well is gigantic. Really big, because they just got, they got, they got sort of beaten... For speed out wide. And the two guys they're really, replacing really were very poor. Very poor, yes. Yeah. So, not their fault. But. So this is a much better looking Melbourne side than what we saw last week. I would really like to see Hughes and Katoa continue to build on that combination that they showed last week. I think by the end of the season, that could be something that gives Melbourne a whole lot of strikes. So that's something I've really got my eye on in this game. Justin Holbrook's an interesting guy. And in, in week one, he started... He started Jamin Jolliffe at prop. Last week, started Aaron Clark at prop. This week's finally thought, maybe I should start Mo Fodawika at prop. And so they're actually starting with Timo, uh, Tino, Mofo, and Liu all on the field with Fafita and Stimson in the background. I think that's probably their best forward pack, which we've not seen them start with in a game this year. So that is a little bit interesting to me. I, th- I think they're looking at this as like, you know what, let's come out and let's blow them off the park yeah, early. Yeah, which is good. Like, let's, get, Be let's get big Tino and Mofo and let's let's really, really work. And which which I kind of like. Like Melbourne's Melbourne's weakness without a Sofa Solomona, you could say, is the middle of the field. So why not attack that weakness with, with two of your absolute... Best players. It's like Sam Verrills is a really big loss. I think That's huge, yeah. He played with, um, I think it was not a broken collarbone, but it was sort of like, um, oh, I can't remember, but he played through quite a painful injury against um, the Dragons. And Chris Randall is someone who I quite like for his work rate and sort of his um, industrious nature, but he's just not as sharp around the ruck as, as Verrills is. So that's something they're going to have to overcome there. Um, You're a big Randall Vandal. <laughs> Randall, no, see, Chris, he's, he's too straight up and down for his fan group to be called the, the, the Vandals. Okay. I did, like, I did like the rhyme on it, though. Thank you. That's the only, that's really all there is to it. Just thinking of words, rhyming them with other words. It's, that's the business. Yeah. That's how we make the money. Exactly right. Um, I'd love to see the Titans. It'd be very funny if Melbourne lost again, but I can't do it. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's tough to see. They're getting Brian Kelly back, so maybe their attack will be just a... A little bit more, a little bit more balanced. He's someone that we've, I don't think we've seen the best of him, but he's a player that I've always had he's, a little bit of. Time they've got for. a few guys like that. I've started to feel that way about Fodawaker as well. Like he was amazing to start the year last year, and then just kind of plateaued a little bit. Well, in he's the back still. Half. He's yeah. I think you got to remember that he's still really. Young. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a guy he's, I've been a huge yeah. fan of, and I'd love to see him recapture that early season form from last year and just start ripping people's faces off again. I, I like the idea of Kelly on that left edge mm. with Fafita and Foran. Yeah. I think it just gives them a lot of strike That's and a lot fine. of different attacking options. So, and Brimson's been really good down that side as well. So if I, I, I want to see the Titans 
really focus on on that left side and and, and see what they can Aaron do. Aaron Short might have a bit of joy as well. Sorry, Aaron Short might have a bit of joy. I guess well does, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. All on back from up from broken up after three weeks though. Crazy. Well, man, P and G tough. Freedom different. That mate, they do. I'm telling you what, they're carved out of rocks. You the storm. Boys. So I'm take I'm taking the storm. Taking the storm, but after last week, I was too spooked to cold train him. Couldn't do it. That's fair. Oh god, some of us did. Oh, what a massacre! Yeah, what mate. A, what a drama it. that I was. I think like a hundred people are owing too because Storm and Roosters in week one. Comps wide open. Anyway, it is. Um, the Warriors impressed me last week against the Roosters, so I'm not going to immediately do what we did last week with a couple of these guys and be like, "Oh, there's no chance that they can win." It's going to be tough up there for them. Stinking hot heat against the Cowboys, but. I liked a lot of what they did under. I liked a lot of what they did last week, and they were pretty solid in week one against the Knights. So I'm not going to immediately say the Cowboys are just going to show up and romp them, but I do think it's going to be a tough test for New Zealand up there. I, I agree with you. I like the direction the Warriors are trending in, but no Jackson Ford, no Charles Nickel Cookstad. Uh, That's big. Tane, I, Talk to me about Tane Tuapiki. Tane Tuapiki. So in our Warriors preview, Brendan Bradford of of Code, one of the best sports writers in the country. He's pretty good. He's very excited about Tane Tuapiki because he's like he's, an, he's a nippy little fullback with really good footwork. And even though it's insane and way too early, the Roger Tuavasa-Shek comps were coming because we were all just hepped up on preseason goofballs. Like, oh, we were, we were, we were debating the preseason challenge. We, could, we were comparing guys to guys. It was... A heady time. Why a don't heady time. we sell some sort of caffeinated lolly called preseason goofballs? We'd make millions. Patent pending. Exactly. Patent pending. But yeah, the, the, the tough part for me for the Warriors is just where the points are going to come from. So Sean Johnson's there and he's always going to be able to create stuff. And Who's I, Tom Chester? Well, we'll, we'll, get to him <laughs> when, we'll get to him when we talk about the Cowboys. <laughs> so Johnson's always going to be able to create, create points and I do really like the middles they've got going. I think yeah. Bontia has been really strong through he the has. first two weeks. So and I'm you know Tohu's always I talk good. about Tohu I talk about Tohu yeah. Harris on every bloody episode and I will continue to do so. Fenua Blake was really good last week as well, but then you look at the three quarter line: Adam Pompey, Braden Williami, Marcelo Montoya, That's Ed Cossey. Kind of like it's just it's just hard to see where the points will come from out wide. I would like to see this from 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 the Cowboys now. So in 2007, the Warriors played the Cowboys in a semi final, um, and for su- up in Townsville, and for some reason. It was played at two o'clock in the afternoon. You almost never get day games in Townsville, even in the winter. And you want to know why? Because it's the sweat box, man. It's hot as hell up there. Mm. The because the Cowboys were the home team, they got to decide if they wore their home or their away jerseys. And the Warriors were going to have to wear the opposite, regardless. So they chose their white away So the away Cowboys jerseys. chose their away jerseys, so the Warriors would have to wear their black jerseys in the in the harsh Townsville sun. That's the sort of shithousery that I think we need more of in rugby league. Well, they never should have gone away from their coolest shit blue Auckland Warriors jerseys. Well, there you go. There's a lesson there. Hmm. To answer your early question, Tom Chester is a young fellow that the Cowboys are really excited about. The anonymous backer Hmm. gave him a pretty big rap on our Cowboys preview. Played the one game last year. I think it was against the Sharks. To be honest with you, I don't remember a whole lot of how he went. And I... Haven't seen a bunch of him, but I know he is someone that the cows are. Tom Chester sounds like he plays twenty five games a season for Bournemouth and chips in with three assists and two goals off the wing. You get him on Football Manager. Mm. He's a he's he's a must. He's a must because there's a really high wonder kid. Tom Chester. And like you sign him when the team's in League Two, and then when you win the treble ten years later, he's there as the uh, as the vibes guy off the bench. Yep, I like that. Do you play any? You ever play Football Manager? No, I got I got really into FIFA for okay. a couple of years, and I got really into the FIFA. Like, oh, the manager, manager mode, the yeah. manager mode, dude. I've like I played a lot of football major. Like one of my mates in high school, like he 
He was doing four unit math. He ended the year in two unit maths because he got so addicted to football manager that he just didn't study. <laughs> like that's the kind of shit I respect. <laughs> he's doing fine now. He's an, he's an accountant. He's doing well. There you go. <laughs> he dropped down two units in maths and now he's an accountant. Yeah. What what team did he pick and did they end up winning it all? Atletico Madrid and they were called the Red One Huck Stadium for like he, they named it after him because he used them for so long. Nice one. I always really you see him floating around the internet sometimes. People that do like a century of football oh, yeah, manager yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Like, it's absolutely My deranged, longest one got to like 2040 like and then they built a new stadium and didn't name, name it after me, so I retired. <laughs> it's very on brand. Yeah, so I, I, I'd like to see, getting back to the to the footy, I'd like to see the cows rebound a little bit after last week. I would mm, like to absolutely. see them. I would like to see them try and create some points without Scott Drinkwater because I think that's the, the, the silver lining of this suspension is it might be able to empower them, the, some of the other players on the field. I agree creatively so i want another really big one from chad townsend who i think's been pretty good through two rounds and i want some more from tom dearden i want dearden to to create a little bit well when you look when you look at this um cows team the forward pack really stands out but i would really like to see the 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 spine come together a little bit more i think they'll win but the warriors will not be disgraced i that that feels about that feels about right to me Uh, it wouldn't shock me if we get like maybe 50 good minutes out of the warriors and then the cows get too late to blow the score out, but I'll come on the show next week and say, you know, I like the Warriors though. I'll, there's some good signs there. Yep. Um, so Nick, you predicted the Brisbane Broncos to not only lose the election, but have their status as a party completely expunged due to not getting enough votes. They play the Dragons on Saturday night. Well, my preseason prediction of the Broncos being in tombs beneath the Caxton between beneath Caxton Street mm-hmm. for the rest of human history might have been a little bit off the mark. Maybe. But I got to tell you, I'm really excited for this game. I don't know why, why but Broncos versus Saints. Ben Hunt revenge game. Broncos versus Saints in in Queensland always feels like a big game to me, regardless. The of one how the two I always think of is the '09 semi-final yeah. when the Dragons finished first, lost to the eighth-placed Eels, and then due to the quirks of the ridiculous McIntyre system, had to play an away game to the sixth-place Broncos you in say, week two of the You finals. say it was ridiculous. But it was awesome. But you enjoyed it. That's that's exactly right. See, it was it sucked until yes, it didn't. I liked the McIntyre system when it didn't... My team was shit the whole time it existed, <laughs> so I didn't. I never had to care about it. But yeah. now I would care. But yeah, I, I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because Saints all have such a big Queensland fan base. So they do. Always, they're Pretty always there, there they're always ready. But it always feels like a really, a really big game to me. And I... I think this is an important... Games like these are an important step for the Broncos. So they've had these two great wins to start with, right? And they played really Mm. tough in both of them. And they sort of showed that this is a team that should have really high aspirations for this season. Top four tour, you know, Campo tipped them to be be sent to Pluto or something by June, all that sort of stuff. We're all having a lot of fun with it. But now I want to see them have some fun. I want to... They've done the tough stuff. I want to see him go out there and put some points on. I want to see Reese Walsh and Ezra Mam scoring sick tries. I want to see Bert Farnworth busting through from 50 metres out. Like, they've done the hard work. They've done the tough stuff. Like, it's time to let the dogs run a little bit. And I think Saints are just good enough to make Brisbane work for it. So, like, Brisbane can't just turn up and win. They're going to they're gonna have to put in just enough to sort of earn it. But then once they do and they really get on the top of them, I think they could really throw the shackles off and we could see some really scintillating footy. Here's Taylor rolling the ball in. on him. He's after it. He might have got it down. He thinks he did. Cold train carp. And as a peace offering to all those Broncos fans out there, I'm cold training you boys this week. Look at you. I am, yeah. Look at you. Yeah. I like to to always have a different cold train pick 
to my esteemed co-host just to sort of spark up a little bit of debate. Um, but I, I am expecting Brisbane to win this and, and to win this in, in, in pretty good fashion as well. Well, on that note, I'm taking the... Dra- no, I'm not. That's just <laughs> just kidding. Uh, how do the Dragons win this game? Well, I think the key for the Dragons is to find the things that they did well on Sunday and just improve on. I thought... They were really strong. Give up the, the ball to the Blake Laurie well, all, and get out of the way. Always give the ball to Blake Laurie. Watch out, Alex Johnson. Here He's comes, coming for here you. Here comes Blocker. <laughs> um, but I really liked Jack Bird's move to lock last week. It was something we didn't talk about on the Monday show, but it was something that really impressed me. It just gave them some really good shape in the middle of the field. And we talk about that Blake Laurie try, but the only reason it was able to happen is because Jack Bird, who, as we know, is a really skillful ball player and a really smart passer, was able to put him in in that gap. And it just gave them a little bit more shape in the middle of the field. And, and, and to me, that was that was a big reason why they were able to, to win that game. They were also able to win because their bench was so strong. Zane Musgrove, who was a, a signing I didn't have much of a rap on, was really, really strong and helped them get over the top of the Titans after that sort of rough first 20 minutes. So for the Dragons to win this, they need to do that. They need to match Brisbane's intensity in the middle of the field, which might be possible if Pat Carrigan's out. He's under a little bit of doubt at the moment. Big out if he is. And then they need Ben Hunt and um, and Tyrell Sloan to combine so well like they did last week. And that to me sort of seems to be their path to victory. But I do do think Brizzy take this one. Me too. All right. Sunday, 4.05pm, Belmore Sports Ground. The Doggies, they've sold it out to play the West Tigers. Um, I might come down. I haven't decided yet. I'm going to a concert that night, so it's a busy night. But you'll be there. I sure will. I sure will. And I, I'm, I'm really glad that there's a bit of excitement put back into Canterbury's season after that really tough start, you know. And I really want to see them... I really want to see more of the same. I want to see them use the ball and play expansively and play to, play to their strengths and get the ball in your hands, in the hands of your playmakers, whether that's the big Wahash... Jacob Kiraz, or whether it's Josh Adokar, or Viliami Kikau, or whoever. Just get the ball in the hands of your difference makers. And I would really like it if this was a game where Matt Burton threw the shackles off a little bit. Because I thought he was tidy last week. He sort of did his job. Other guys were playing well, so he could just sort of give it to, the, give it to them and play that role as the facilitator. But this is a game where I want to see him really take it by the scruff of the neck and, and, and really dominate the fixture with his running game especially. Yeah, I, I, I mean... I. It's, it's difficult to find ways to be excited about the Tigers after the way they've performed in the first two weeks. Um, but I do think that perhaps they could get some joy in the forward part. We, we spoke pretty highly about Jacob Preston last week, but if you look across the board, kick our side, I mean, it's not the most... Dis- it's not, not the biggest mismatch of all time. I think they can match it with them in the middle. But the main problem I think the Tigers have is, is in the halves. Dewey's under an injury cloud... Brooks has not played well in the first couple of weeks. And then the back line. I mean, I, I like that Junior Tupo's in there this week, but on the wing. But, I mean, is there much to get excited about for you? Well, you're talking about the Tigers forward pack. To me, that's their path to mm. victory, is keeping things super tight and really focusing on their strengths, which is guys like Utui Kamanu and, and, and David Clemmer and all that. I like. I don't mind the addition of Bloor and Kepaoa on those edges. I know, of course, Isaiah Papali is a much better player, but mm. just because of the lines that those two run, they might have a little bit more attacking joy because Papali has a bit, had a bit of a tough start to the season. I think they need a really big one from Clemmer. I yeah. thought he was I, on reflection because um, I sort of looked up a couple of things during the week. I think I was a bit too kind to him 
on the Monday show. I think he only ran for about 96 metres. And for someone like Clemmer, that's well below what we know yeah. he's capable of. So I would like to see him and Ut- Utoi Kamanu really lead from Did the Did you see that really try Junior Tupo scored in Cup last week? I didn't describe it 95 me. metres. James bad. Roberts against Canberra-esque. Oh, not, wow, not quite, really? not quite. It was from like, but yeah, he just burned them. I got to look that one up. Sensational. Yeah, I, I like Charlie Staines is playing fullback because Dane Laurie's out. That, that sucks because Dane Laurie's very good. doesn't fill me a lot good. of confidence because like, even though they haven't been winning games, I feel like Laurie's been really busting an ass and he's one of the few ones who does look a little bit likely when they do get whatever attacking uh, momentum that they have when it, when they get it going it's generally around him I do like Canterbury for this one though and like they'll get the big rowdy home crowd and all that and I think that'll go a long way to to getting them the win and pull up the junior tupo try for you you could have just shown me afterwards yeah. um and while we did talk about Maybe West's have an advantage in the forwards. I think you're underrating Canterbury in that department just perhaps, a little bit. Atala Mariner was really strong. He was last great week. last Ryan week. Sutton was a lot better. Max King is the most underrated footballer in the league at this point. That's true. 160 metres a game. It's really good stuff. So I like Canterbury I, in this one. Sorry, I also, West. I'm just curious to see them because I think they got Melbourne, uh, whilst it was a fantastic win last week, they got Melbourne at a really good time. They got them at a time where their back line was a complete mess. Their forwards weren't much better. Like that. You know, Melbourne were held together by gaffer tape last week, and it was a great time to play them. This is a game that they will be at home, sold-out crowd, expected to win. Um, no excuses against the Tigers team that's missing a couple of good players as well, like Dane Laurie and perhaps Adam Dewey also. Um, yeah, I think the Bulldogs win. I wanted to almost Coltrane the Tigers as a zag, but I can't because I tipped against the yeah. Bulldogs last week. Well, if no, you, I'm literally not allowed to. No, I know, but they also, saved me do, from myself. Do you need a zag at Owen too? I would say you've already I'm trying sat. to shoot the moon. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're um, they're um, they're probably not going to win. But like, it would be it would be pretty tigery to come into this game, the first game where everyone has truly written them off after two after two games at Leichhardt, sold out, not sold out, but pretty bumper crowds in games that they were expected to win to just come into Belmore and, and upset the apple cart. But it won't happen. The Bulldogs will win. Well, you touched on it a little bit earlier. This is a game where there is a bit of expectation on the Bulldogs, where people are expecting them to come out. Which we haven't seen put yet. Put on a so, really good performance. And it's sort of, I think it's much easier to motivate yourself when nobody thinks mm. you're going to oh, win. Oh, absolutely. You, you wrote about this a little bit last week in your column, talking about the Panthers, and even the Panthers, the two-time premiers, top of the world. If I was against playing against the Penrith, I'd just say really nice things about them all yeah. week. In the they're, such, even, they're so good. Even they're they, the best. Even, even they are looking for people who don't believe in them to try and, motiv- try and motivate themselves. It's much different to motivate yourself when you're on, when you're on top, even if you're only on top like for a week like Canterbury have been. So I feel like the next step for Canterbury is to mm. dispatch a team like the Tigers, which I think they're going to do. All right. And the nightcap, the Canberra Raiders hosting the Cronulla Sharks at 6.15. Uh, that, when do these bloody twilight games end? I'm sick of it. I want my 2 p.m. kickoffs back, Campo. But That's how we were raised. Yeah. And that's that's how that's how it should be. It doesn't happen until after Easter, apparently. That's what happens in Joe Biden's America. Exactly man. right. This is the future that the Democrats want. Um, yeah, you're hosting the Sharks. You always beat the Sharks, but you're not confident. They, yeah, Canberra have beaten the Sharks the last eight times they've met. The last time the times. Sharks beat them was at the end of 2018, which is almost five years ago now, which is a really, really uh, long time. But I'm not confident in Canberra at all. And and it's it's very much... This one for me is very much a case of styles make fights. I think Canberra, even without Josh Papali'i and Ato Mariotta, have the forward pack that can really... That can like dominate the, sh- the Sharks a little bit in the middle of the field. But the Sharks showed last week that even when they're getting stomped in the middle of the field, they can score points. And I just don't think Canberra 
have the points in them to exist in a shootout with Cronulla. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think Canberra might be on top for 20 minutes or the first 20 minutes, but it wouldn't surprise me if we go into halftime and the Sharks are up by 12 or 14 points because they can just put them on so, so quickly. And that's just been such a struggle for Canberra. You know, we're talking about Zach Wolford again. He's at, He's been named at 18th man this week. So maybe there's a chance that he gets swept into the starting side, but that's just me being hopeful that, at this point. You that know, that's might be really enough based, for me to sway what I think is going to happen. But as it stands... Here's Taylor rolling the ball in on him. He's after it. He might have got it down. Oh, he thinks he did. Oh! Cold train carp. Look, my beloved Cronulla Sharks, the team of the pod for 2022, not 2023. That's gone to a different uh, marine creature, the Dolphins. Um, the, the love might have been lost a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but I want to get back on board with my men in the black, white and blue, and I'll be taking the Cronulla Sharks in the Cold Train Cup. And either me or the Raiders are going to be 0-3. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I thought about Cold Train in the Sharks, but I was like, you can't Cold Train twice against your own team in the, in the, in the first month weeks. of the competition you can't be That's doing that egregious. but like it's meant to be it's meant to be hot as fuck down in canberra on Does that it get day. hot in canberra yeah oh dude in the summertime absolutely it's oh. a it's a land of extremes cold in the winter hot, hot in, in the, the summer. summer that's on the license Maybe. plates i think that's right mm. um but if it is a really if it is a really hot day i think it's expected to be at least over 30 degrees even though this game does kick off at quarter past 6 that really favours Cronulla's style. That really favours the team that can move the ball much more than the team that wants to keep it tight and gritty in the middle of the field. So, I don't know. For Canberra to win this, they would need a lot more from Danny Levi. They would need a lot more from Jamal Fogarty. They would need a lot more from Seb Chris in like attacking in shape. And they would just need a lot more organisation. And based off the first two weeks, that's not something I'm expecting to see. But I am expecting to see more of the same from Braden Tricky Trindle. I'm expecting to see more of the same from... Will Kennedy. I'm expecting all those things we know about Cronulla to really come to the fore. And Cronulla's weaknesses, which have been pretty apparent in these first two games, they make a lot of errors and they miss a lot of tackles. I don't think that will sting them as much because I just don't think Canberra have the attacking ingenuity to really take advantage of it. Yeah, if this was a Raiders team that was full strength and had Xavier Savage at fullback and had Wolford at hooker and had Josh Papali playing, I would not be tipping against them. But they don't, so I am. There you go. That's all it takes sometimes, guys. Simi Renrandra trying the chip and chase. Oh no, it's Simi Redradra! Redradra's away! Simi Redradra! Oh, this will be interesting. Oh, yes, it will, yes. Simi Renrandra. Oh, he's absolutely buried it! Redradra! All right, bit of news before we get out of here. Um, Tom Burgess, Cambo, has re-signed with Seattle in 2024 and, barring injuries, will finish his career as the second most capped rabbit of all time. That really surprised me, eh? Yeah. Do you, do you think, if, say South's won another premiership, right, and Tom Burgess had a blinder in the grand final, could he eclipse... He probably can't eclipse Sam. Could he eclipse George? George was, in my opinion, the best player on the field in the 2014 agree, grand final. I agree, but that is not the consensus. That's It might be. You ask most people... <laughs> Um, but it, that's a popular opinion. I think is that he killed it. Sam was really good in that game as well. He was, but, but I thought I thought George was. The but um, yeah, dude, that's a really good question. I mean, there's the only guys now that have a chance of doing that and being two time as a him and Alex Johnson. That's it. 
So two of your most beloved. Well, boys. Johnson is also on that list. He's ninth all time already in Rabbitohs caps. Wow, really? He's behind Alf Blair. He's coming for him. Alf Smacker Blair. Yeah, uh, who played AJ's at one ninety four according to Rugby League Project. He's already gone past Isaac Luke, Luke Stewart, Sam Burgess. Gone past all of them. So he's coming for Alf Blair, Jack Rayner, Benny Waring, and then the top five. It's bizarre. Before this current, so the, the top four is John Sutton with three hundred and thirty nine. But, but then, he was their first three hundred games. Correct, and then over a century. Well, second isn't gamer. it, dude? Second, third, and fourth are Reynolds, Merritt, and now and Tom Burgess, and fifth Craig Coleman. 208 was their most capped player until like this current era of Rabbitohs. Isn't that's that crazy? Cr- well, well, For a team with that much history. Well, I, it's one of those things when you think about it, it makes a lot more sense because South Sydney's glory days were when seasons were a lot shorter and careers generally were just a lot shorter. By the times like we got to sort of, sort of more modern career lengths and we had guys who could who like who did play over 300 games or who did play 15 or 16 plus seasons, South Sydney sadly as we touched on in our and what about this guy's segment, were in one of their rough times. But, uh, but Cody, there you go. Cody Walker has played more games for South than Clive Churchill. Oh, that doesn't feel right. Doesn't, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. No disrespect to Cody Walker. No, I, I love like Cody that. Walker, but that is, that's a bit weird, isn't it? It is, it is. But not good bit of business. I think Tom Burgess has played the best footy of his career, probably the last two or three seasons. He's done the classic front row move of playing your best footy as you mature. A little bit, yeah. and his hands are even a lot better than they used to be. Oh, so there you go. Well, we talked about a South Sydney legend resigning. What about a Camden legend? Apparently, resigning with the Roosters. Yes, James Tedesco re-upping with the Roosters for another season. What does this mean for Joseph Swartley? Oh, no, that that discourse it will is never killing go me, away. It? Like it's I, it's 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 annoying because. Everything Joseph Swartley does is going to be picked apart and pulled to death because. Just because of the, the the nature of the way that he entered professional sport, he's one of the biggest names in the entire sport. Like his senior debut was a reserve grade game, a reserve grade trial at the start of 2021. And a photo of him was on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald. That's how big a deal he was. He was 17 years old playing in a reserve grade trial and it was front page news. You know, I, I personally, I talked about this a little bit on Monday's show. I think Sully would be, would be very comfortable waiting another one or two years and sort of learning off Tedesco. People who are trying to sort of drive a, a rift between them or looking for signs of discontent, I don't think that's going to happen. They're actually quite close. Uh, Tedesco is a big reason that Suwili ended up at the Roosters. In the first place, there's a family connection there that's been that's been around for about 10 years or so. So I hope that this will put out a little bit of the... A little bit of the fire because the discourse I think is it's getting pour troublesome. Some gasoline on the fire. You would, it's going to keep going. <laughs> is, I'm just hearing this trouble... At the Roosters. It's what I'm hearing. What kind of trouble? Doesn't matter. Discontent. Discontent. Dissension. Malfeasance. <laughs> Misappropriation. Yeah, no, Very but nice. I mean, fantastic business. James Desco is a fantastic player. I do not understand why we've gone through this discourse in the last couple of years where people have started dismissing him a little bit because he didn't get tri-assist in State of Origin or whatever. Like, just dumb bullshit. Well, he's still the best player in the world to me. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I think he's got to that point that Cooper Cronk and Cameron Smith and Billy Slater got to where we're so accustomed to him being great mm. that we've become a little bit numb to it. I if agree. There was with another fullback, not named James Tedesco, who played like James Tedesco. They would have got sixty Dalian points last. One hundred percent. That's interesting though because I agree with how we view him in the. But I don't know if if he retires, he's going to be viewed in the same light as those guys. Probably, probably, probably not. I, 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 would, I would think not. I don't really understand why, though. To me, he's the preeminent player of that post-Big 3 generation, you know? Um, and I, it, it's impossible to me 
to rap him highly enough for what he's done at club level and at, and at rep level as well. Um, I think he's definitely New South Wales' best fullback ever. I think you can make the case that he's edging towards being one of their best players ever. Mm. Like I would probably have him in the top five for, for best Blues ever, but... I don't know. He just doesn't <laughs> Do you seem remember to. Remember when he couldn't get in the team ahead of Matt Moylan? Oh God, let's not let's not Good let's times. not let's not reminisce Good over times. that one. It's very so funny. yeah, I, I don't know I don't know why he isn't sort of held in the same esteem no. as, as some of those other Neither guys. But he's he to me he's still the best player in the world. And when you have the best player in the world and he's playing like the best player in the world, just keep playing him. Don't yep. overcomplicate these things. Um, the NRL's hand down new concussion protocols. Uh, if you are concussed, you will have to be exempt from con- any contact training or playing for 11 days. Nick, I assume the 11 days is so that if you play on the Thursday night in one round, it takes you all the way through to the Sunday of the next round. Is that why? I think so, yeah. So I think there's only four games this year where an 11-day sit-down would result you in missing two games yeah so i think that that's, that's and that would be like anzac that. day or pro- yeah that's probably where they've drawn easter that monday or something i think these are really important measures um i agree I, I think it's important that the nrl does everything it can to sort of uh give guys who are concussed or who do suffer hias every chance of, of of recovery and all that they announced these earlier mm. in the week and to me it seemed a bit reflexive it was like oh wow there was a concussion on the weekend so they've rushed these in but i made a few calls and that's not the case this has been something that but that they've been formulating since um the back end of last season it's been a real priority for the performance staff but it's just been tough for the commission to push it through because of uh the blues with the players over the the cba and the pay deal and all of that but the thing that really stood out to me is there's a line in there that a, a team and a player can apply for an exemption for um to to nullify the eleven day turnaround, I think they need an independent specialist oh. to tick that box, and that's the thing. So these are all really good measures, and I really like them because they're making the game a bit safer and they're looking after the players a little bit more. But what's going to happen when someone might miss an Origin decider well, or a Grand Final on these protocols? Because last because the see the Super League has similar protocols to this, and Aiden Caesar missed the Grand Final for Leeds because um. Because he got concussed in the prelim, and they sat him down for eleven days, and that was it. So, when it, I want to see it put to the test and pass the mustard, but I like to. I do like. So to I was talking to um, Jimmy Smith about this yesterday, and he said that they had these rules in the Super League when he played there in the nineties. So they've been so ahead of the curve on this, so, which is crazy to me to think. And there's the I hadn't seen that happen. So we've got a couple of minutes before we have to get out of here. So I will. I wanted. To, I would be open to having a week off, like they do with the Super Bowl. And then that way, no one has to miss a grand final because of a concussion. I love that we're taking concussions seriously. But if we are going to do that, I, I don't see why we can't just do that. What do you think? You're pulling a face. You don't like it. No, it's an interesting idea, definitely. But I think we would lose a lot of the momentum from the preliminary finals from mm. like an excitement standpoint. Like Remember, the AFL tried this a couple of years ago. They had a week off between the end of the regular season and the start don't of the Don't they do finals. that every year? I think they've gotten rid of it now oh, okay. because people didn't like it. People felt like it took the air out of the balloon a little bit, you know. And a lot of the time in grand final week, you know, there's all that excitement early in the week and then it really peaks on the Sunday. If there's another week on top of that, I don't know. I This is this is just purely from like a vibes slash feelings standpoint, which nearly all of my analysis yeah, and assessment yeah. of life is. No, I think there are arguments but uh, both to, sides to me, of this. To me, it would take too much air out of the balloon, though. But I do, I do, I do like it as an outside the box idea. Because, like, I just think, mate, like, we're very pro concussions in terms of the research and, and the efforts that we're going to to eradicate, not eradicate them, but to manage people through them. And I don't know. I think with the optics, with the, it, it is still, 
it's still tough to convince a lot of the general public about the issue of concussion, especially the footy gun public. A lot of them have the sort of archaic views on these things where you can it's just a head knock. You I just, do think that perception is It is changing a little bit. It is changing a little bit, yeah. but there's a lot of those people still out there. And I think that if you end up with hypothetically speaking, um so what like so let's say what happened in round one? Junior Tatola got knocked out in the first hit up of the of the game, right? He does that in a prelim. Seas go through. He misses a grand final because of that. That's a really tough price to pay. And if it's and maybe some if maybe that happens to someone more high profile than Junior Tatola, maybe that happens to Jared Maria Hargraves, or maybe that happens to Payne Haas or someone. That's something that I think we get a lot of people's noses out of joint. You get a lot of fans going, It's been eight days. He's fine. This is bullshit. And so I'm just like to me, I, I'm worried that people might get their noses out of joint about this if it does happen in a big game like that. So it's, it's definitely a, a fair point that you're raising. Um, I would like to see how much this does impact teams and players over the first couple of weeks before... That's true. Before That's we true. Come in. So we have to see how often this sort of rubs guys out mm. or how often guys are going down and, and, and being sat down for 11 days. But it's a fair point that you make, definitely. And uh, Angus Crichton's out of rehab, which is great news. Really great we news. We don't really have any analysis on this, but just good news. Just re- really, really good news. Yeah, love Angus Crichton. More uh, Roosters good news, because apparently that's just all we talk about on this show now. Millie Boyle looks oh, like done. she's making... Well, she, it looks like it's going to happen. Mick Carianis from the Daily Telegraph, who knows his stuff with these things, is saying that Millie Boyle is going to be at her third club in three seasons. And she's coming down to the Roosters. That's a real coup for them, I think, because I've got her still as the best forward in the women's game i don't like it <laughs> i tell you what man like she's she's having a run around three clubs in three seasons why do they get to have nice things all the time i don't know bullshit i don't know man. all right uh, one, i'm really happy for them one more little bit of news yeah. um that i just want to add to it really quickly you guys might have seen earlier in the week that the arara valley axemen which was the club that sam burgess helped coach last Shout season out yep it's a club that uh Russell Crowe's had a lot to do with as well. They made the grand final last year in their first season back on the field in a while. Uh, but this year they've had to withdraw from the senior competition up oh. in Group 2, I think it is, because they just couldn't get enough guys together. They were only getting eight or nine blokes to a training session. A lot of the good progress that they made last year sort of fell apart. So I want to I ask everyone out there who's part of who's, who lives in the country or can be part of a local footy team, Please just do what you can to support local footy and to support the teams in your area because they are really important parts of the community. I know a few people from up that way, including a dear friend of the show, Brock Korf. Great who's, guy. Whose family is all pretty cut up about it because they've been axemen from way back. Um, and I guarantee you that if you're a person that goes down to your local footy club and you sort of help out, you play, you train, you work the canteen, you won't whatever, regret it. you'll always get a lot more out of it than you ever put into it. So if you get the chance to support... Country footy or local footy, please, please do it. It's the lifeblood of the sport. Absolutely. And before we get out of here, I'd like to thank the people in the top two tiers of our Patreon. If you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash NRL Boom Rookies. Uh, and if you are enjoying the show, if you're a new listener, there's a third podcast every week that you will only get if you are a patron. It's our Question Time podcast. A little bit more relaxed, a little bit more humorous. We have a lot of fun on there. We do. We have fun. And so a thank you to... Chris Avnell, Dave, Nico Hines had the greatest season in NRL history, Rocky and Rafi, Stu, Butsy, Chewbacca Snuffleupagus, Dan Cullinane, David, Doc Hogg, an anonymous backup, Ed Burton, Frankie, Horsborough Scoresborough, Jace Felix Farmworth, Jason Jez, Joel Wrigley, uh, John, 
Josh Brandon, Kicks House out of the comp, Lachlan Hancock, Luke Charles Smidmore, Luke Ferguson, Maddie Jenkins, Matthew Duggan, Michael Murray, Mr. Beefy, Morgan Watkins, My Ding Dong is Hard and I Am Sad, Never Trendy, Pat McManus, Ray Stone Gossard, Reese Brown, Rowan Edwards, Roxanne Clark, Seymour Butts, Shunter, Simo, Ty, TB, The Black Vegetable, The Not So Mature Student, Thor, Tom Hardy, Was, and Westlife's podcast. Thank you so much for your support. To everyone in the lower tiers and to everyone who just listens, thank you as well. And again, that's patreon.com forward slash rookies. Bunch of well-dressed people with excellent postures who give a lot to charity and a lot to their community. Shout out to the Black Vegetable, a fine rabbitose man, I found out. Well, I would have expected that with the Tricky Trindle. What about this bloke nomination? Well, yeah. I didn't ask him why he calls himself the Black Vegetable, though. That's not for us to know. It's not. It's, he moves in mysterious ways, That's the Black right. Vegetable. All right, Campo, uh, we're getting out of here. I'll see you in a few hours at uh, the house that Latrell Mitchell and Tane Milne built. Sure will. The new SFS, great ground. Get there if you can. Rugby fucking league. Absolutely. All right. Say goodbye, Campo. Bye, guys. And it's goodbye from me.